Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, nationally recognized investing expert Paul Merriman makes the case that owning just two funds for life is a home run investing strategy for some investors. Stick around and find out which two funds. Plus, Joe and Big Al answer your money questions. How should teachers and others without social security or pension save for retirement? How do you record flexible spending account contributions on your taxes? How long should you keep your tax records? And of course, this wouldn't be YMYW without some talk of Roth IRAs. Specifically, the fellas deliberate on making Roth conversions and backdoor Roth contributions. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Got my good friend, Paul Merriman. He's a legend in our business. He's done more good for the average investor uh, than I can ever imagine anyone else do. So um, without further ado, I want to welcome Paul back to the program. How you been, bud? Joe, I've been great. And by the way, thank you. I mean, my life is about trying to help people who don't know what the heck to do about their investments. And you guys perform an amazing service for people. Uh, I'm out trying to help high school kids and college kids. So I kind of go above and beyond where you guys go, unless maybe you're out doing the same thing, and I just didn't know about it. <laughs> you know, I've tried to do that, Paul, once. That's a tough gig. That's a tough job. <laughs> <laughs> I get more nervous talking to a bunch of high school kids than I do a room <laughs> full of 200 adults. It, it's a whole different world, but I do love it, and I am getting some work done. So uh, thanks for the comments. I'm just curious on that. With the curriculum that you teach high school kids, I would imagine it is pretty much similar to a lot of the other work that you're doing because I would say most adults have probably the same financial knowledge that someone in high school does. You're exactly right. I After 45 minutes with those kids, they actually know the difference between load and no load, low expense and high expense, one stock versus a thousand, high taxes versus low taxes. I mean, none of this stuff is, is difficult. It's just that, as you know, Wall Street tries to make people believe that it's complex and they just can't deal with it. Yeah, w- without question. Hey, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. I know you have a new initiative to change the world of investing, and I'm really intrigued by this, this two funds for life concept Let's talk a little bit about that. What have you been working on? Well, I've been looking for a way to simplify the process because people like your firm and when you manage money for people and my old firm, when they manage money for people, they use a very sophisticated strategy, lots of different asset classes, rebalancing, tax management, blah, blah, blah. It's too complex for the individual investor. And the individual investor that needs the most help is that first-time investor coming right out of college, going to work, got the first 401k. And what should they be doing with that money to invest for the long term? Well, I know the best, absolutely for them. The best investment is just a simple target date fund. Because if you think about it, Joe, when, well, well, at least when I was first involved in investing back in the mid-60s, most of my friends that I knew that went to work somewhere, they were all of a sudden in a pension plan. I mean, they had to stay there for 40 years or something to get it, but they had a kind of a guaranteed saving program for retirement. 
They didn't have to worry about putting the money aside. It got taken out of their pocket before they even knew it was there. They didn't have to worry about where to invest the money. They didn't have to worry about how to change the asset allocation as they got closer to retirement. What the pension fund did, they took care of all of that in a professional manner. The public is not really smart enough or experienced enough to do this. And it gets complex emotionally when it's your money. Enter the target date fund. All you got to do, as you know, is figure out what year you want to retire. Use the target date fund that comes the closest to that. And all of that gets taken care of for you. It is as close to a perfect investment for the small investor than I know because it goes beyond indexing because it takes care of that balance between equity and fixed income that you do not get out of an index fund. So it is special. Now I heard through the grapevine that you're not as big a fan about target date funds as I am and I want to know why. I don't know where you're getting your information from here, <laughs> Mr. Merriman. Let's talk about a couple of things that maybe you can educate me on. So when you look at a target date fund, I'm an absolute huge fan of the target date fund for accumulation purposes. So yep. if, if you have a young investor, if you have uh, you know someone in their 20s, 30s, 40s, or even 50s, I don't care, and they're not sophisticated enough of what uh, you know value versus growth or small versus large or international versus emerging markets, if they don't want to go through all of that, I think a target date fund works out perfectly. Where I have some problems with it is just on the distribution of assets as they're trying to create income. That's my only beef. I think some of them are filled with a little bit too high of fees. I think some of them, it's a very complex marketplace. So you take a look at one target date fund and you can take a look at another target date fund, even though let's say it's both 2025 target date of my retirement and they have totally different risk parameters. And I think sometimes, I don't know, is that the manager or is that that company trying to add a little bit more risk to show higher return to confuse the average investor to gain more assets? I I don't know. So, I mean, there's just a lot of things because what? I I mean, 50% of the assets are going into these products. I think Wall Street had figured out, hey, this is a really good product to gather more assets. And I think with anything like that, there, there could be some abuse in really what the public is thinking they're getting versus reality. I agree with everything that you've said. I absolutely agree. In fact, I've even got more complaints than you do. My first complaint that really irritates me is that a target date fund for a 21-year-old or a 25 or 30 is going to have 10% sitting in a bond fund. Why would we ever, ever want to put a 21-year-old in a bond fund that is going to cost him for every 10% or, or her for every 10% in bonds, it's stealing a half a percent a year during those early years of accumulation. That, I think, is an outrage. The second outrage I have is they don't put any small cap in there. They don't put enough small cap to move the needle one bit because all of them, almost all of them, are building their, their, their target date fund on large cap blend in the total market index U.S., total market index international, and throw in some bonds, 
And that's kind of it. The problem with that, and you guys, I know you're in favor of this, you'd want to see not only some small cap in that portfolio, you'd want to see some value in that portfolio because there's so much evidence that those asset classes add value long term. So here's what two funds for life does. And it's not going to make up for create a portfolio as good of the kind of portfolio you would put together for somebody or that I would have when I was in the business. In fact, my own portfolio has 10 different major asset classes in it. Well, you can't do that with these young people, unfortunately. So how about this? How about a formula that takes a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old, I don't care how old they are, and it says, look, you need to build a portfolio with the concept of a target date fund. But how much should go in that target date fund? When you are 20 years old, I want you to be smart enough to multiply your age by 1.5. Whatever that amount is, that's the percent you're in the target date fund. The balance of the fund is going to go, if you want to be aggressive, into a small cap value, and I hope, index fund, Joe, and I think you'd wish for the same. Absolutely. And by the time, let's say, the 20-year-old is 30 years old, it's now 45% in the target date fund and 55% in the small cap value. So what's happening is not only are the managers of the target date fund ratcheting down the risk as the person gets older, so is your exposure to small cap value. Now, would I rather have a portfolio that's a combination of international value and large and small and U.S. large and small value? Sure, I would. But the problem is that makes it all very complex. And it turns out from the studies that we've done if you invested in a look-alike of the glide path from Vanguard, because they are the giant in the target date business, that from 1970 to 2017, the compound rate of return would have been such that you would have turned your many years of investing in that 401k plan to about $6 million if you use their strategy as it is built today. If you use this two funds for life, use small cap value instead of 6.12 million, the average return, and there's a whole range. I mean, it was a uh, like a Monte Carlo bootstrapping kind of way of, of investigating the long-term return, but the average return was about $2 million higher. Now, if we could give somebody a strategy that would give them decent exposure to equities, right amount of big cap, and close to the right amount of small cap, and the right amount of value, and we can do that with two funds, I think, and by the way, as you know, I don't make a penny on this stuff. I'm just trying to help people do better, leave more to their families, retire earlier, whatever it might be. This, I think, is a true home run, and, you, and I'll just quit talking here in a second. You might say, you don't want to be as so aggressive to be in small cap value because certainly it is more aggressive than large cap value. But even if you just use large cap value, you still added almost $1.5 million or a little more than $1.5 million to what you would have in retirement just because you were willing to add that extra value, that extra large cap 
and increase the risk. Yeah, you do increase the risk when you do this. But that's the, one of the big problems with target date funds. They're built for the most average individual you could ever imagine in your life. <laughs> If you were the average investor, you wouldn't be listening to YMYW. Check out the show notes for today's episode at yourmoneyyourwealth.com for the transcript of this interview and all our past interviews with other investing experts like Lizanne Saunders from Schwab, David Kelly from J.P. Morgan, and Larry Swedrow from Buckingham. In the coming weeks, behavioral finance expert Dr. Daniel Crosby returns to YMYW to tell us about his latest book, The Behavioral Investor. And we'll talk to Tanya Hester, who retired at the age of 38. She's got a new book called Work Optional, Retire Early, the non-penny-pinching way. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get new episodes as soon as they're released. And click share to help your friends become above-average investors, too. Now, more about Two Funds for Life with Paul Merriman. Well, let me crack this egg open a little bit because I got multiple questions for you on, on the functionality of it, how often that you adjust. Uh, but more importantly, let's talk in generalities just about a target date fund. Share with our listeners here, what is the genesis behind it? How does it work? Because I think still a lot of people hear a target date fund or an L fund, if I got the TSP plan or whatever, lifestyle funds and yep. everything else in between. Just talk a little bit about how, let's say, a Vanguard or any other company that puts these together, how do they put them together and how do they work? Well, the way they work is somebody smart and experienced is making a decision about somebody who's 40 or 50 years away from retirement, how much of their portfolio should be in equities. And then, of course, they have to make the decision about how much of the equities are in large companies and small companies and growth and value. They take care of all of that. Now, you hit it early on. They do come to the table with a bias. And one of the biases they have is to put together that portfolio so it doesn't confuse people so that uh, if the market goes down, their fund better go down. And when the market goes up, then their fund better go up because, by God, if you don't go up (laughs) when the market's going up, people are going to think you don't understand what you're doing. So they build them to be kind of acceptable to the average investor, not taking a lot of risk, but early on, almost all equities, 10% in bonds, let's say. In fact, I even asked John Bogle, I, I spent 90 minutes with him in his office a couple of years ago, and I asked him, why the bonds? What are you doing with bonds in the portfolio for a 20-year-old? And he said, you know, we just want to expose them to the idea of what fixed income is about. And, of course, my response is, why not educate them as to why they shouldn't have it when they're 20? (laughs) But they do that. And so as the investor gets older, and by the way, they don't have any more than 10% fixed income until the investor is about 40 years of age. That's good. And then to the extent that they're going to have fixed income, I certainly wouldn't want any more than 10%. But from age 40 on until they're 65, the bond part keeps growing and the equities keep shrinking because less equity means less risk. It also means less return. But at some point in your life, 
you got to realize that your ability to produce income is declining and your willingness to take risk should be declining at the same time and you should be preparing for having more or less some sort of guaranteed income when you finally, let's say, reach 65. The beauty is they do it all. The investor simply has to put the money in the 401k, it gets managed, and then you, let's say, you meet this magic age of 65. Well, these 401k plans, they're more than happy to manage the money until the day that you die. And for a lot of investors, that's exactly what they want because they don't want to deal with this stuff. They want somebody else to. So it is the automated process that you and I both believe that an investor should have. They should have index funds. We both believe in that. And index funds are kind of an automated way of investing. Then they're expecting that person putting money into the 401k or the IRA to be dollar cost averaging into that investment, buying more shares when the market is down, buying fewer shares when the market is up. Again, it's automated. And then taking care of that correction on how much in fixed income and how much in equity, what more does the average investor need except to make sure that equity portfolio gets exposed to some asset classes that have a hundred-year history of doing better than the S&P 500. I want young people to have those asset classes. So if I unwrap this even further, so you looked at the target date fund and said, okay, with all these attributes for the average investor, okay, when they're young, they have uh, more equities than bonds. And as they age, that portfolio is going to get more and more conservative. And usually around 40 years of age is the bigger turning point. So 40 to 65, you're going to see a bigger shift in that portfolio that's automated that is going to go more towards bonds, towards stocks. So when they retire, they're not going to have a huge equity portfolio that would be damaging to their overall retirement. But, you did it in 30 seconds. I did it in five minutes. <laughs> so That but, was perfect. But then you looked at it, and you said, you know what? There's some flaws here. Because a, a 20-year-old investor should not have 10% of the portfolio in bonds. And there's no real, I guess, maybe a juice or kicker or a booster, to steal your words, within the portfolio to help a 20-year-old that is earmarked for retirement 40 years from now to get a higher expected rate of return in use the science of investing in the academic research and studies that you've done for many, many years in using some of the brightest minds in Wall Street or academia is to say, hey, there's asset classes here that will produce a higher expected return over the long term. The downside of that or the trade-off is that they're going to have to take on a little bit more risk to get that higher expected return. But who cares? They're 20 years old. They can afford to take the risk. So, And you- if I could add one thing, because you're doing this so well... <laughs> The way that formula works, when you turn 65, 66, that extra kicker, that small cap value, it's gone. Zero, yep. Perfect. But you're adding more equities because you said 10% is too much in bonds. I want more equities in younger years. And so you came up with a formula, 1.5 times your age. That's how much money you want in a target date fund. So 30% in the target date fund, 70% in small cap value. And then you ran that number throughout their age. And by just doing that, 
you're able to produce, of course, on average, and you know, forgive me, compliance, and there's no guarantees yep. and all of that. Yep. Um, roughly a couple million dollars extra in their pocket just by holding an extra fund. Exactly. And now, to be fair, there are a lot of assumptions you make. Do you increase the amount of money that you put away each year uh, by inflation? There's all sorts of things you run through to see what the real world might look like. And anytime we look back, I don't care if we're looking at actual performance or hypothetical performance. Anything in the past is hypothetical because you can never recreate what was done in the past ever the same way it happened. But I love the concept, Paul. I mean, I think you're really onto Good. something. And I think the average investor, the average um, 401k investor, or anyone for that matter, needs you in their life. They need this information um, because all it is is going to take them an extra 30 seconds out of their life to basically generate maybe a 25 to 30, 40% higher income uh, for their overall retirement if they can just follow some simple steps. And all they need to do, Joe, is we created a twofundsforlife.com as a place that they can go and just see this work that we've done and not be bothered with all that other great information that we have. <laughs> but Two Funds for Life, the number two, fundsforlife.com. Everyone, please check this out, twofundsforlife.com. Mr. Paul Merriman, it's been such a treat and a pleasure to have you on the show once again. And, and again, thank you so much for everything you do. You betcha. Keep up the good work, you guys. All Bye-bye right. Now. Take care. See you, Paul. Uh, that's Paul Merriman, folks. We're about to open up the emails, but first we've got a free book for you. If you've got questions about your financial situation, go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Scroll down to where it says Ask Joe and Al on Air. And if you're on your smartphone or if you've got a microphone on your computer, just click the record button, ask your question, we'll play it back on the show, and they'll answer it for you right here on the podcast. And we'll send you a free copy of the book, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett by Larry Swedrow, with a foreword by Joe and Big Al, just for recording your question. No microphone? You can submit your question on a text form, too. Just go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, click Ask Joe and Al on air, ask a question, get a free book. Now, let's get to some of those money questions. We got Anna. Hello, Joe and Al. I love your funny and thoughtful podcast. Well, thank you, Anna. I'm a teacher in my mid-40s at a state school. I opt out of the underfunded pension system when I started the job a decade ago. Instead, I contribute to a defined contribution plan and various supplemental retirement accounts. Unfortunately, in my state, I'm ineligible to contribute to Social Security, so no pension and no Social Security. However, I do live in LCOL, low cost of living area, and I'm recently able to save more than I spend. Uh, 40k per year into retirement accounts and I'm thinking about adjusting my portfolio to take the lack of social security or pension into account what do you think are the pros and cons of these ideas all right Anna she's saving 40,000 bucks a year yeah that's excellent solid mid 40s she's gonna be just fine <laughs> what's why are you rolling your eyes at me I didn't roll my eyes right. I smiled and then I'm looking at the rest of her question oh got it whatever <laughs> okay uh, take a chunk of my savings each year, 10K, and put it into I-bonds, creating a safe inflation-protected bond ladder. Uh, number one, what do you think about that idea? What's an I-bond? Inflation? An I-bond? Yeah. It's like a double E bond. Double E bond? It's just a, a government bond. Okay. All right. 
Never heard of an IBOC? I have. I yeah. just couldn't. I can't just, answer the question without knowing exactly what it is. Got it. <laughs> oh. uh, I guess IBOC. Or maybe it, it could have put it in one. Yeah. Bonds creating a safe inflation, um, but I, I believe it's an I-bonds. I think it's I-bonds. Yeah. yeah, that's what it looks like, mm-hmm. I-bonds. So I, I do believe, uh, Anna, you should have some of your money in bonds. I, I don't know that you necessarily need to buy a bond. I, I might buy a bond fund, and I might I might stay shorter term just because um, the when you look at the long-term rates of bonds versus stocks, you don't get much extra benefit, much extra income for a longer-term bond, and you have a lot more risk. But I do agree with the putting some in bonds, and whether it's 10000 that's about 4, 25%. That, that could be about right. Um, I disagree with that. Okay. You're mid forties, Anna. Um, so you're a little bit older than me. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> um, I would. I would. You got twenty years of work left. Um, I think as you get closer to retirement, you're going to need as much capital as you possibly can um, to accumulate. And so I get what you're doing here. Is you're saying, all right, well, here I need a supplement for my pension and Social Security. So let me put ten thousand dollars a year in I bonds. I bonds are paying what two percent. Um, in 20 years, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you want to continue to save the $40,000 in a globally diversified portfolio and don't segment it. Don't try to bucketize this thing. Um, you, you look for a target rate of return over 20 years. Let's say, um, what do you think? Yeah, globally diversified portfolio, 20 years, call it 6.5%. Are you fine with that? Yeah, I would, I would be fine with that. Okay. And then if she does that, she's got $1.5 million. I'm assuming she has money already saved. So that's if she started today and she saved $40,000 and she got 6.5% return on that $40,000 savings per year. At the end of 40, um, 20 years, she's got that. And if I take a 4% distribution from that, that's $62,000. As a teacher, I'm guessing, um, in a, what do you make as a teacher? 80 grand? 60, 70, 80. 80. I mean, some administrators might make 100 and some. Yeah. Kind of yeah. depends on where you are in the country, too. Sure, too. And we don't know what state she's in. So, I don't know, $62,000? That's, uh, of course, the future value of that. Um, so, that's, I could say that's the future value, 20. Um, the present value of that is. Um, it's always good to do calculations on the air. Isn't <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Where we can see it. Uh huh. Um, this is about forty-two thousand bucks. Can you live up for forty-two thousand um, dollars? If you're good, then then you're all set. And I that, mean, keep and doing what you're doing and have a globally diversified. Don't try to segment this. Yeah, and, and that's that's well, that was assuming you don't have anything saved, saved so now. Far, but she's but in her mid forties and she's cranking pro- forty thousand. She probably has um, some cash there. So I so number I, two or, or okay. number two right. question. Okay, go ahead. Uh, use my tax deferred retirement accounts in combined short term tip funds and long term tip funds to create a short of uh, sort of liability matching strategy. Anna, I mean, are you a pension hedge fund manager? <laughs> no, I would not do that. Uh, she's trying to. This is what like big pensions do. And they, they match ladders with liabilities, and the liability in her case would be an income stream or income payment. Um, I disagree with that strategy as well. I like the tips, though. What a tip is is a treasury-inflated protected security. Alan. Yes, that I knew. Okay. Uh, any other comments on that strategy? No, agreed. Okay. Her third 
uh, comment is more is better. Well, stick with the total return portfolio, but perhaps choose a more conservative allocation. Say move to fifty fixed income, fifty stocks to substitute for Social Security. Cheers. Yeah, now you're on the right. And uh, thank track. you for all your work. All right, but it's, yeah. t- it's that's too conservative, and that's and that's assuming you have a twenty year. Uh, yeah, yeah. If, uh, Anna, if you're retiring in the next five years, well, then then all bets are off. Then just right. ignore everything that I just said. But if you're retiring at 65, let's say, yeah, uh, because you're looking for a supplement of Social Security, I love the fact that you're concerned of saying, you know what, mm-hmm. I don't have Social Security, I'm not going to have a pension, but I have all these supplemental retirement accounts that lets me put $40,000 in a year. Right. If you continue to do that, I think you'll be fine. Um, and it sounds like she lives in, um, what did she say? A low cost of living area. L C O L. Yep. F M O. What are you trying to say, Joe? I don't know. FOMO. Fear of missing out. Yeah, that's okay. what I meant. To FOMO. Say. Got it. Loco. Loco. So let me, let me just say, yeah. if, if you do up twenty years, I I would go at a minimum sixty percent stocks. Yeah. I might do seventy percent stocks. I might even do eighty percent if I could handle the the, the fluctuations. Yeah. yeah, I have roughly the same time horizon. My portfolio is one hundred percent stocks. So there you go. All right, and I hope that helps. Good luck with everything. Keep pumping away. Keep saving. Okay, uh, this is uh, Bob. Good old Bobby. He asks me a question, I believe, every week. (laughs) Good morning, Joe. I've asked you questions in the past. Yes, I know, Bob. But I hope you can help clarify a few things. uh, Due to my income, I cannot do Roth contributions. I would like to do a non-deductible IRA contribution and then do a backdoor Roth conversion. Look at Bob. He's just all over it. Right there. Boom. The problem is I have a SEP IRA with about $50,000 in it. I'm checking with my 401k company if I'm able to roll my SEP into the company 401k. If I can't do that, I know you said I can do a solo 401k. These are my questions. I have a SEP because in addition to my W-2 wages, I also have 1099 income. I contribute to the SEP every year and get a tax deduction. Is it possible to have a company 401k and a solo 401k? Also, can you still take a tax deduction if I put money into the SEP and roll it over into either the company 401k and solo 401k? Sorry for the long list. Thank you in advance for your advice. <clears throat> All right. I'll, I'll take the easy ones. <laughs> That's a lot there. Yeah. In a minute and a half. Okay. Yes, Bob, you can do a, a solo 401k and you ha- if your company has a 401k, but you have a maximum contribution limit to those plans. Yeah. Uh, if you're over 50, $25,000 this year for 2019, this, the sum of, of both plans. So if you're not maxing out your, your company plan, um, yes, you could do that to a maximum amount of $25,000. Um, if you set up a solo 401k, you would not contribute to the SEP anymore. You would contribute to the solo 401k and take the deduction there. Instead of saying, here, let me put it into the SEP plan, take the deduction, roll it into the solo 401k. I mean, you're, you're just taking on too many steps and making it way too complicated. Yeah. The solo 401k would replace the SEP. Yeah, and it's the same computation, so don't worry about it. Right, exactly. So 
I would do this. Roll the um, set up a solo 401k, roll this up into the solo 401k, contribute to both your 401k and the solo 401k till a maximum of $25,000. Then you can do backdoor Roth IRA conversions to your heart content. The problem is is that if you're saving more than 25,000 bucks, if you're already saving the $25,000 into your 401k plan and then you're adding another let's say 10, 20,000, dollars whatever that number is into the set plan, then that plan's not going to work. You're not going to be able to do backdoor Roth. You do the SEP contribution, get the tax deduction, look at your tax return, and then maybe do small conversions along the way. All right, we got uh, James from San Diego. Yeah. He goes, yeah, my wife is planning to retire in May. She has a 401k that we plan to roll over into her IRA. We have been doing backdoor Roth IRA contributions for several years. Would she still be able to do a backdoor Roth contribution before she retires, or would that transfer now be counted as taxable since she would no longer have a zero balance in her traditional IRA at the end of the year? Um, here's what I'm going to do, James. The answer is yes, it's because she's going to blow up the pro rata aggregation rule, and, uh, and I believe you probably already know what that means because you're asking the question. The IRS is going to take a look at the total balances of all your IRAs, um, and it doesn't matter. It's it's the end of the year balance. It's not the beginning of the year. And then if so, if she's got more IRAs or anything like that within that twelve month period, they're going to do an aggregate of all of those IRAs, and then they're going to divide what you have in basis. In this scenario, let's say she did the backdoor Roth fifty five hundred dollars of basis. They're going to divide it into the total amount of IRA dollars, and then that's going to be your ratio uh, that will be tax free. So um, it still might make sense. Still might make sense, but uh, you just know that it's not going to be 100% tax-free. The money side of retirement is critically important, but so is what the heck you're going to do with your time once you retire. What do you want to do with that time? If reading and watching some great TV are on your list, I've got just the thing for you. This week on the YMYW TV show, Joe and Big Al are all about successful retirement lifestyle planning. And we've got a free retirement lifestyle guide to go along with. You'll find both the TV show and the free guide in the show notes for today's podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Now, getting back to those money questions, and hey, check out those show notes for videos of Joe and Al answering some of these questions, too. Not this next one, though. I'm going to go with Judy from San Diego. Okay. I have tax records going back eons. When I search online, I'm told to keep them forever, seven years, three years, etc., I know I keep receipts for capital improvements until I sell my house, I think. But what about checkbook registers, tax forms, W-2s, 1099s? Who do I believe about what to keep and for how long? I'm going to trust you three. Andy, most of all. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, did Andy you, write? Is this Andy wanna, from San Diego? Do you want to answer that, Andy? I did actually look it up. You did? Yes. And I think if Judy is going to trust anybody, it should be the IRS. So I found the information on the IRS websites. Keep copies of your filed tax returns like forever, yes. number one. So, uh, And I will tell you each one, agree or disagree. I agree with that. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> if you didn't file or you filed fraudulently, keep your records indefinitely. <laughs> I agree with that too, Be, and the reason is because the IRS, if, if if they can show that you you had created or did fraud or fraudulent transactions or fraudulent tax return, they can audit you for as long There's as no they want. There's no statute of limitations. Correct. Yep. 
And I would say that Judy is probably, because she listens to Your Money, Your Wealth, she's probably not the type to have filed fraudulently or not filed at all. Uh, Keep records for seven years if you file a claim for a loss from worthless securities or a bad debt deduction. Okay. You believe that? You good with that? I would say the same. Keep records for six years if you didn't report income you should have, and it's more than 25% of the gross income shown on your return. Okay, I'll go along with that. And then keep employment tax records for at least four years after the date the tax becomes due or is paid, whichever is later. So, and I will say five years. And the reason I will say that is because for those that live in the state of California, the Franchise Tax Board can audit you for a year longer than the IRS. Well, and yeah, that's the thing. This and, is and, all the IRS information. Yeah, so. and, and I will boil this down even simpler, which, which is so, so the um, just keep stuff for seven years. Keep tax returns forever. Keep receipts like when you bought your home, your escrow statement, until you sell that home, yep. and keep everything else for seven years. And the reason I say that is really five years is enough, but I'm just trying to give a little cushion here. Right. But after seven years, check every, you know, most everything except the tax returns themselves. Now, interestingly, the IRS does also say that... Uh, this is not interesting at all, by the way, but go ahead. Your records, <laughs> you should make sure that you keep them for non-tax purposes that you might have... It, but I don't know what those would be, why you would need to keep them for any non-tax purposes. Well, maybe you're going to write your memoirs and you need to go back <laughs> to your receipts to remind you what you did. I think this one goes to you first, Al. I think so. We got Clint. Huh. I knew this was uh, from Ponce Inlet. Inlet, Florida. I think it's Ponce Inlet, but I'm not sure. Ponzi Scheme, Florida. Hi, Andy. Wave emoji. (laughs) Uh, What did we do without emojis, Al? I don't know. We didn't know how we felt. Yeah, I suppose. Just my reading stuff. Smiley face. Could you pass along this question for Big Al for me, please? I have elected to have $2,500 taken incrementally from my biweekly paychecks in 2018. While plugging my information away into the major online tax preparation site, I've noticed that there is no line item for FSA funds. I check with four different online preparation websites and cannot get a clear answer. Has this calculation already been formulated in my adjusted gross income? Hey, thank you so much for your help. Uh, Clint, that's a great question. So FSA, maybe I'll I'll, I'll talk about what that is. What, so, some, flex spending accounts. Yeah, flexible spending accounts. Some companies offer this. Not all, but some companies offer it. And generally, you can you can put up to twenty five hundred dollars into a flexible spending account. It comes out of your pay. So you actually elect it to come out of your pay. Pre tax. Pre pre tax. That, that, that's right. And so um, so what what happens then is now instead of making, you know. Hundred bucks you make, or, or whatever you make for the day, right? Hundred bucks you, you make ninety. Wow, Clint, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was just trying to give an example. Jeez, be quiet. So, Clint, <laughs> you're only making a hundred bucks <laughs> per hour. <laughs> anyway, so the point is, your your pay is already reduced by this, and and what happens is this money sort of gets set aside and can be used for certain things in accordance with the plan. Uh, and if you don't use it, you, you tend lose you, you it. lose it at year end. But you never pay tax on it. Now it's on your W two. It's it's on line fourteen, which is which is the other uh, other Little box. The other box. It doesn't affect. It's it's just information only. So so rest assured that it's already been deducted from your gross pay. 
So I guess, Clint, to say it this way, too, <clears throat> if you have a 401k through your employer, and let's say that you put $10,000 into your 401k plan pre-tax, and you make $100,000 a year, there's not a line item on the, on the 1040 for 401ks either. It's going to come out pre-tax. It's going to show right on the front line. You're not going to add that in unless you're self-employed. Yeah, but I will say the tax software does want you to put the 401k numbers in there, but it does not require the FSA because it's already been deducted. It's not relevant to taxes. So okay. I, I, did not, um, I did not know that you put the – why would you put the, have to put the 401k in the tax software? Because what if you have two employers and you maxed out both plans? Oh, the the software is going to say you, you, you did too much. you got to pay some back. Got it. Yep. How about my um, – well, the FSA, it's, it's a payroll deducted. I could do two FSA plans then too is what you're saying. No one would know that. No one. No, all yeah. right, there you go, Clint. <laughs> Get another job because you're only making a hundred bucks. Anyway. All right, that's it for us. Hopefully, you enjoyed the show, guys. For Big Al Clopin, I'm Joe Anderson. Show called your money well. Once again, get a free book just for asking us a money question. Go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, scroll down, click Ask Joe and Al on air, record a money question, and we will send you a copy of Larry Swedro's book, Think, Act, and Invest Like Warren Buffett, for free. Special thanks to today's guest, Paul Merriman. Learn more about the two funds for life investing strategy in the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. That is also where you can subscribe to the YMYW podcast. You'll find links to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can listen on YouTube or whatever your favorite podcast app is. Again, it's in the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free two-meeting financial assessment with a certified financial planner, click the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. YMYW, YMYW, YMYW. Phew.